most of us, Laura, would say that when you have potential for multiple pathogens, you continue to look for the one that you can eliminate so that you take it out of the complex, and then you can start thinking about uh, the next one. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production, NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions, Genesis, the first power in genetics, Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Genesis. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high, healthy, registered purebred swine on the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and meat quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. That's G-E-N-E-S-U-S dot com. everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Joe Connor from Carthage Veterinary Service. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Laura. Well, good. Glad to have you on today. Um, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving our audience just a little bit of a background about uh, who you are and a little bit about your veterinary experience over the years, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I'm a uh a long-term uh, veterinarian based in uh, West Central Illinois, part of the uh, group of uh, Carthage Veterinary Service and Professional Swine Management, and now work as a consultant back to that group. Also, have been involved in uh, pig production uh, through uh, years, and uh, also have a part-time position at the University of Illinois. Very good. Well, Joe, um you're known worldwide, obviously, for your veterinarian skills and particularly um, your discussion around health. And, and I know early in your career, you were involved with pseudo-rabies elimination in the United States. And so we really thought today would be a, a good time just to visit with you a little bit and get your perspective on maybe how you've seen disease change in the swine industry from early in your career to now, and then also maybe a little bit about your projections as to what you think is going to happen in the future. Well, you immediately show uh, show my age, Laura, when you talk about and refer back to pseudorabies. But I think it was a good model. And as, as I think at that time period compared to now, a big difference is we were working in uncharted waters with the program that was being pushed forward 
the industry and the veterinary community recognized that pseudorabies had a economic consequence to our industry. And there was a lot of discussions about the success of an elimination program on a, uh, a wide basis. We're quite fortunate, though, that uh, diagnostics developed and in the later stages of the program, very effective and then differential vaccines were developed to really help move that program successfully forward. Mm -hmm. As we think about today, um, we do have tremendous advancements in diagnostic technology. And we're able to use that technology to better understand the uh, extensiveness of the uh, pathogen or the disease within the population and use that information to, I think, more aggressively go at at least individual herd elimination programs. I think that's um, a really interesting point. One of the things that I hear in terms of chatters, particularly as we look going forward, and with the current situation in terms of what's happening in the Dominican Republic and, and Haiti with ASF is, is this potential concern of how do we manage a new disease, right? We knew in 2013 when PED came in, um, there was a lot of work around controlling it, trying to eliminate it. Now, obviously, it's, it's endemic in the U.S. And so what do you see as far as how we're going to manage diseases in the future. I think if, if we back up and we think about what has changed over the last 20 years, it, it's been our pig flow and our separation from the breed to lead to the growing pig population. All of that was based on the premise of, of actually disease management, but more importantly, improved uh, performance particularly in the growth finish phase. And with that, as we that system developed, it then became easier to eliminate diseases in each of those production phases. So now we had the separated pig flow from the breed of wean units. So that opened up a lot of flexibility more at how we could um, approach disease management and disease elimination. At the same time, it also allowed the industry to grow our inventory. And so, as we all recognize today, we have larger populations located in uh, each of many of the premises, which that by itself influences the disease activity, at least in certain geographical uh, areas. One of the challenges I think we do face is if we go back and we look at your example of PED and then foreseen Delta coronavirus was that it emphasized that we have methods of transmission that we previously did not think were all that important. So stimulated uh, research by you and others to say, are we transferring those type of pathogens uh, in the feed? or transportation fomites. So for me, it's opened up a lot of what I refer to as practical research 
back to the farm level in terms of how disease pathogens are transmitted. And that opens up approaches of how do we do control of that transmission as we go forward. I think one of the interesting things that uh, we learned, Laura, out of PD was that we originally thought we had a method to eliminate it out of a, out of a particular herd. And over about a, a, a two-year time period, we actually got quite good at eliminating that particular virus out of herds. I think as you remember back, uh, we had some of those situations where we cleaned and disinfected uh, six, seven, eight times and still had uh, virus activity. Well, it turns out we didn't quite understand where the uh, transmission was occurring and what the influence of a quite young pig, in this case a suckling pig, contributed to the concentration of virus and the spread of that virus within a particular herd. I would say today we've got quite good at uh, reducing the number of days that we have losses within a, a PED herd or a, a Delta coronavirus herd. Now the question comes is, should we eliminate that virus from the industry as a whole? I think we've recognized the uh, modes of transmission, and the next step would be then to back up and say, what do we need to do as an industry to complete the elimination out of the, uh, the North American industry? Mm-hmm. As I think forward, uh, and if we think about what is occurring with uh, ASF, our risk clearly have increased here now that the virus is in the Western Hemisphere and with the situation that does exist within uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic and not only movement of uh, uh, people, but uh, then becomes the increased risk of their movement of uh, products. At the same time, uh, our industry is really through Schick has taken a very uh, practical and aggressive approach with the uh, authorities and uh, to try to minimize that risk and also understand the important methods of uh, transmission. So as we if we compare that, though, to your earlier question on pseudorabies, uh, we don't have an effective vaccine yet, so, and we don't have a differential vaccine now. Just last week, it was announced that uh, the studies are, are quite promising, at least, on the uh, gene-deleted vaccine as being effective and as being uh, safe. So that work needs to continue, uh, as well as the diagnostic technology in order to allow early identification and then control and elimination. When you um, look at the farm level, so I'm gonna take you a couple of different directions here, um, because I know you've traveled worldwide and and been in countries where ASF has has been around at least for a few years now. So we've learned some lessons that maybe can help prepare us for what we can do or should be doing here in the U.S. to hopefully prevent spread and movement. 
what would be some things at the farm level that you would encourage our producers to be doing today? Yeah, it's a good question, Laura, and I'd separate it in uh, two different uh, geographical areas or approaches. So, one, if we look at uh, Russia as an example, or the former Soviet Union, those large systems over the last uh, five to seven years have actually gotten fairly good at preventing ASF or entry, and if it does enter, in controlling it, limited to one building, one part of the site, moving quickly to then elimination out of that population. To do that, they've enhanced the biosecurity. So they very much like we do here, so vehicle washes, but more intense inspection of transportation, inspection of uh, products that would come into the farm, more tight storage of products, double fencing, um, isolation facilities for incoming animals, uh, pig side tests that would allow uh, early confirmation and removal of animals. Now, it's not perfect because just last week or two weeks ago was announced one of the uh, systems uh, has experienced re an outbreak of uh, ASF. If I compare that or contrast that to uh, China, which is a, a different industry as it modernizes, the, the similar biosecurity steps have been put in place, but not yet as intense and controlled because of the difference in the industry, size of the producers, number of producers, um, historical method of uh, raising pigs, all of that is not as developed, but is quickly developing uh, than similar to uh, what you and I are used to. One of the things that did come out of the uh, virus movement in China was that with the, with the virus itself, there was a number of herds that were successful in actually identifying the virus early and removing those animals and then saving the rest of the population. That, as you know, has gotten challenged, though, because there was modified live vaccines that were also introduced as a method to reduce mortality. Those vaccines, in some cases, have uh, evolved with the virus itself, making more of an endemic picture. And so making what was quite a successful method of, of removal, identification removal, much more difficult to do today. So they're now in a situation where, in many cases, where the virus is endemic and the practices that they were using uh, 18 months ago or 12 months ago uh, are more challenged now than what they were. Yeah, that's very good. I think you offered some really good insight there and uh, what's happening in other countries and hopefully give our producers a little bit of, of things to think about. Um, so I'm going to switch back now to instead of talking about ASF, 
let's talk about things that are obviously already here that that we're dealing with. And I've worked with you a couple of times with some farms where you were working through a mycoplasma elimination and and can you walk people through the approach to to how you attack a, a mycoplasma elimination on a farm? I think that's an interesting uh, disease because if you go back to the early part of my career when it was known as enzootic pneumonia, we would have had populations through the SPF program that we would have identified as being mycoplasm uh, negative. And then our industry lived with this uh, pathogen and consequent disease for a number of years until the research uh, actually got stimulated uh, by uh, Europe, where we could see that the pathogen could be eliminated, at least on a small-scale basis. And then when that information was recognized here in the U.S. and then uh, research coming forth from uh, Maria Peters and others that gave us an indication of how long an individual animal that was infected would shed that particular uh, pathogen. And at the same time, looking at uh, serology and exposure within herds, we recognized that one of the unstabilizing populations were our introduction of mycoplasm negative gilts into a positive, even though it might be stable herd, those gilts would then undergo infection. And with Dr. Peter's work, we recognize that those uh, gilts themselves at Farrowings P1s would be a primary method of transmission to the young pig. Then the work came forth that showed that what was the cost or is the cost of mycoplasm hyalomoniae and whether it's singly or in combination of other viruses such as Persian influenza. So it heightened the cost of that particular uh, pathogen and made us look at, now is there a way that we could eliminate that from our populations? I think most of us, Laura, would say that when you have potential for multiple pathogens, you continue to look for the one that you can eliminate so that you take it out of the complex, and then you can start thinking about uh, the next one. And so the very common today for us to uh, first expose replacement gilts to mycoplasm through aerosol method, and we focus to get that completed before they are about 80 days of age, so that by the time they feral, they're no longer shedding that pathogen to their, uh, to their offspring. Then that leads us to the elimination program using a combination of the natural exposure then her closure for the 240 days, and at the end of that program, a uh, intervention with uh, antibiotics on the suckling pigs and generally the south population, and uh, pretty predictably will then result in a population where we've eliminated the uh, pathogen from the south population of the breed to population 
then of course we eliminate it with the downstream flow just by all the all out movement of animals. So it's been quite a success story uh, for the industry, and it is picking up momentum. Where you could say, do we need to move to a broader based uh, program of elimination, and is it one that we can do uh, locally and then uh, by area and then by region? So I think looking forward, it opens up some really good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really interesting is. You know, when you start talking to people, everybody wants to say, well, let's eliminate this disease and this disease and this disease. And what I'm really hearing is we need to take this as a, a systematic approach and let's be successful controlling one disease before we move, obviously, to the next disease. And when you and I used to talk, you know, mycoplasma, while it can move, it doesn't move maybe as easily as some of our other diseases. And so if we can be successful with mycoplasma, then potentially we can move on to some other diseases. Is that a fair thought process or is there a different way to think about that? No, that's a great thought process. And I I think you bring up a great point that we also had to settle on for mycoplasm polymonii. And that is we thought it moved some distance by aerosol. But if you look at the uh, the data in the uh, Minnesota study, most of the time, that is quite a short distance, and we can put pigs in a finisher right in pig dense areas, and they do not become uh, contaminated with mycoplasma pneumoniae. So that answered the question of if we input the cost to eliminate the sow herd, will we be able to ma- maintain those populations uh, negative? And we now know that's true. And you probably remember in those early segregated production days, we thought that uh, it only moved about um, uh, 300 yards, so we set some of those facilities about 1,000 feet away. We now know it moves a little bit more than that, but generally, with good biosecurity, that then becomes a good step that we can eliminate uh, that particular type of pathogen. And then the other point that you really emphasized to me, and if you look at our industry and you look at the number of pathogens we've eliminated over the years, it's quite a long list. But generally, each one of those start out as an individual herd, to your point, and identifying the factors that uh, contribute to transmission within the herd, and then what interventions can we make to stop that transmission. And we link that with the value matrix, and then it drives us uh, really one herd at a time. And then we modify the approach to become what we think is the most cost-effective approach to successfully eliminate uh, that pathogen out of the population. Very good. Well, I'm going to change gears on you just a little bit, Joe. Um, I know you've worked with with veterinarians right out of college over the years and just kind of looking back at your lessons learned in in the veterinary career what would be a couple of key items that you would like young veterinarians to be thinking about as as they start their careers oh uh, you're you're tackling my uh, age again Laura, but sorry joe <laughs> yeah the uh i think early on i probably made it a little bit too difficult so 
one of the things I've learned is that it is about uh, listening or observing what the pigs themselves are doing. Uh, it's about asking questions so that you know what really the objective is when you're in that barn. And it is about being in the barn um, and putting together the information that you have. I would tell uh, veterinarian, young veterinarians that you know, keep it simple because if we think about what action we want within the barn, the caregiver of the pig really needs to have it straightforward because you're going to have to carry the action out to get the result that an individual wants. Many times as a as a young veterinarian, I'm sure I gave them way too many options, feeling that that was giving them the broad spectrum, allowing them to understand how decisions were made, but later recognizing that that only confuses the issue because they're the ones that have to uh, execute the final actions. So it's important also to know who is the uh, action person versus who within the company needs the broader base of uh, reasoning or uh, objectives. The uh, I would all, the next thing I would say is that it's always helpful to focus on some metric. And so that helps focus the objective. It could be as simple as the cough index, the scour index, um, but ultimately it is the cost and a value matrix. And so focusing on that then helps uh, sharpen the decision-making process. Clearly, we continue to develop on how to grab that data and how to put it into a value matrix. At the same time, we need to get that out to the pig always um, so that there's actionable items. Mm -hmm. Very good tips. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree. If we don't keep it simple in the barns, um, it's hard for our individuals to accomplish our, our objectives. And then, of course, um, listening. We always will talk about listen to what the pigs are telling you, listen to what the people are telling you, and put that together. It's very good. It is time to our famous three. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestahl manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. Designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestahl is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Gestahl, always one step ahead in swine feeding. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. As we wrap up our time together, we do like to ask Joe a couple of common questions to all of our guest speakers. So the first question we like to ask is, what is your favorite swine resource book? Well, I'd be admiss if I didn't say the diseases of swine, right? But right. what I do, Laura, is uh, I actually try to look at recent articles first 
or whatever the problem is that uh, we're facing, and then go back to, to like the diseases slide as a reference, because I find that linking those two together helps me get a progression of my thought process and maybe areas to continue to look at. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, how about a non-swine resource book? Um, is there anything that you're currently reading or have read that you would recommend to the audience? Well, one of the interesting ones that I read is uh, When Breath Becomes Air. And that's about a 36-year-old neurosurgeon that right as he's finishing his education uh, finds he's developed stage 4 lung cancer. So the progression there is how do we move through the understanding of length of life and how do we make decisions as you progress through that. Interesting because he's also a great author as well as his understanding was to try to, or his goal in life was try to understand how the brain operates to help us develop a personality and, and uh, make decisions. Very interesting. I've not heard of that book. I'll have to pick that one up and, and read it. Sounds like a very good story. Um, the last question I like to ask our, our speakers is really around, if you think of people in the industry that, that you have defined as being successful, and it can be any part of the industry, what characteristics do you identify as, as helping them be successful? I think, Laura, the, the successful ones are all passionate about what they do. So in this case, they're, they're passionate about pigs. At the same time, they're very curious, and so they're looking for avenues, opportunities of new information, but they have the ability to apply that information back to either their own herd or their own task at hand. And then with that, they've got the ability to execute that and finish that, uh, finish that task. Mm -hmm. I've heard curiosity a couple of times recently, so I think that's actually a, a really intriguing one. And it's and it's just that you you hit the nail on the head. It's not just being curious, but it's then putting an action behind that curiosity and making a change from from what you're observing. So, very good characteristic for people to think about. So, um, as we conclude our time, I want to thank you, Joe, for for being on our podcast today, and for our audience. This is Dr. Joe Connor. Again, Joe, thank you for your time. Thanks, Laura. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to Elite Swine Nutritionist dot com.